God is truly good. Amen. You know, and God, isn't it amazing how God always provides? God always takes care of. God always has. And, uh, you know, in this church, I'm, I'm floored at the fact that God has, yes, he does milk and, and, and bread and the soft, malleable stuff. But our God in this church has always been faithful. So much so that he always gives us meat to eat. Amen. And in this case, he's given us meat to eat. Praise God. And uh, God has brought back to us um, Pastor Steve Lee, who is candidating um, for our pastor. So keep him in prayers. Um, he came alone, so I'm sure his wife is at home making a, a nice big feast for him to have lunch. Or she probably just said, I'm tired, honey. i got to stay home. <laughs> but either way. He is definitely supported by our prayers, and uh, uh, we're definitely looking forward to hearing God's word through him. Pastor Steve. Uh, it's good to be with you again this morning. Uh, actually, my wife, she's a first-year nurse, and so she's actually working, and she's requested uh, to the hospital uh, to get her Sundays off, and they're trying to work. But uh, on it, but it hasn't been easy. So uh, she sends her greetings, and uh, I'm glad to join you again on this uh, Sunday morning. Thank you, sir. Should we begin with a word of prayer? Father, as we come before you this morning, Father, you tell us that you are in heaven; we are we are on earth. So you tell us, let our words be few. And in that Ecclesiastes passage, um, you speak that because not only within church, but even when we're not at church, um, there are many words. And, and yet you look at our hearts and you look at uh, our motives more than what people can see. And I pray, Lord, that as we come again this morning, that, Father, you once again uh, expose our hearts to us so that we can humbly um, recognize, uh, Father, that you are the potter and that we are the clay and that you would, again, this morning, we would be expectant for you to mold us and make us, for this is what we pray. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Our passage this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And I'm sure you're familiar with this verse. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. It's towards the end of your Bible, right before Thessalonians and right after Philippians. Small book, four chapters. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. This is the reading of God's word. Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Colossae. In verse 23, he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Verse 24, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Jesus, the Lord Christ, that you are serving. 
Apostle Paul, as he is writing this letter to uh, these believers uh, in Colossae, he is writing this letter while he is in prison. And while he is in prison, uh, he is reminding the believers who are free to um, serve the Lord, that whatever they do, that they were to do. And this word here, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Work at it with all your heart has the meaning of joyfully, genuinely, willingly, sacrificially, faithfully unto the Lord. That's the meaning that it has to work at it with all of your heart. And when he speaks this, if you look at the whole book of Colossians in um, chapter three, verses four through uh, seven, uh, 17, you don't have to turn there, but he says these are the four areas in which you are to work wholeheartedly in everyday walk. Chapter three, verse four through 17. And then he says in your home. Chapter 3, verse 18 through 21. And then in chapter 3, verses 22 to chapter 4, verse 1, it's in the servant-master relationship. So today we would use the word employee-employer relationship. At work, you are to do your best unto the Lord. And then in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, it's in prayer and witnessing. So it's in your everyday walk, in your home, in your work, and also in your prayer and evangelism. That's what he speaks about here. And um, he reminds them that even while he is in prison, uh, he is even in that situation. He is working with all of his heart, with all joy to serve the Lord. I'm sure you've heard that while he was in prison, scholars say that while he was shackled in chains to another prisoner and there was a rotation of prisoners uh, rotating uh, that Apostle Paul would actually evangelize and pray while he, would, he was in prison to the prisoners. So even while he was in chains, the gospel was always working wherever he was. And that's kind of the light that uh, he is reminding the believers here in these uh, couple verses. Apostle Paul was always proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, as I mentioned, even while he was in prison. And he served God with all of his heart and he did not give up no matter what circumstance he was in. Now, uh, why are we to give our best to God? Well, verse 24 kind of speaks about that. It says in Colossians 3:24, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. This word inheritance has a twofold meaning. One is that uh, you're going to get reward in heaven. The Bible speaks about whatever we do unto the Lord, that there'll be treasures laid up for us in heaven. And so that's one meaning. The second meaning is actually on earth. There's an inheritance on earth that we will receive that this world cannot, you cannot buy. And it is the joy of knowing God, the joy of worshiping God, the joy of serving God. The joy of loving God and the joy of sharing God. There is joy on this earth as a result of working wholeheartedly unto the Lord. There's a supernatural joy that this world cannot give. Um, this was uh, in 2004. And um, I took uh, about 20 to 30 uh, college students at that time. And... We went to the Rose Bowl. 
because it was Billy Graham's last crusade in California, in L.A. area. And it was in 2004, and it was at the Rose Bowl. So we arrive at the Rose Bowl, and it was packed. I mean, the, the, the stadium was packed, and even the field was completely filled with people. And they had the you know time of worship and praise. And then um, when Billy Graham came up to give the message, uh, I remember they had to actually uh, put him on a wheelchair. And they actually, there was a man behind him, and he, uh, you know, took the wheelchair and moved Billy Graham to the center of the stage, which was the pulpit. And um, he was very old at this time, and he was actually, it was 85 years old at that time. And I remember as he spoke, he was so fragile and weak. And as I was preparing this message, and looking at these two verses, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart unto the Lord, not for men, but unto the Lord, because God is watching. The Holy Spirit reminded me of 2004 when I was at the Rose Bowl and how until the very end, Billy Graham did serve God faithfully with all of his heart. And I never forgot that. And that ministered to me. And I remember also uh, as he was giving the message, um, many people came to salvation. And, you know, his past now, since then, and, you know, I could just imagine the joy that he experienced on earth as a result of being a servant of God and being a faithful minister of God. How much joy that gave him even on earth as he is rejoicing with Christ himself in heaven. There is a joy that... You experience as a believer when you give yourself unto the Lord. Um, I've been to uh, various countries through missions. And one of the countries I went to that um, really ministered to me was Africa. I was there for about three weeks and we uh, visited this orphanage. This orphanage was an all girls orphanage. And uh, all the parents of these girls had died of AIDS. So there was like about 20 to 30 of these girls. And, uh, you know, they called the director of this orphanage, Mama. And so Mama escorted me around. There was no uh, running water or anything like that. So these girls, basically, they just had the basic minimum um, necessities available to them. And as uh, we were worshiping, and as I was, you know, praying, worshiping, getting ready to uh, prepare uh, the message, uh, as I was praying and worshiping, this little girl named Benedict uh, came up to me as I was sitting down, and she sat on my lap. And so, you know, uh, I was worshiping together with everyone there. And then, right before I was about to go speak, uh, I felt warmness on my left leg. Yes, you're right. She had peed on my leg. Apparently, they didn't, the diapers weren't working or whatever else. And I remember leaving that worship service, and we still had the rest of the day. We had, we had another village area to go to to do VBS. But not only myself, but those who went on this mission trip with me. Yes, it smelled and everything else. I can't take a shower for the rest of the day because we're out in the field. But there was so much joy of seeing these children worship God. And even though they didn't have earthly parents, 
they knew that they had a heavenly father. And leaving that orphanage, we got in our van, and as we were leaving, they started, like, as we're slowly leaving, some of the boys started running after us. And that broke my heart. But there was a joy. You can't buy that kind of joy. That kind of joy when Christ and his gospel is presented and people connect with who he is and what he has done for them. They connect with God's love. They connect with the forgiveness of their sins. They connect with the beauty, this treasure, that even though they might be poor in our terminology, they're rich. They're rich in spirit because they have this heavenly father. And all the people that went on this mission trip, myself, we still, when we meet and we have our um, briefings, that's what we think about. Because no, no amount of living at a big house or getting a nice car, nothing wrong with those things. But we live in a culture today that tries to buy happiness. We live in a culture today that tries to reward themselves with the things of this earth. And look, there's some nice amenities. Air conditioning is nice. Having a screen TV, flat television is nice. But there is nothing. This inheritance is not only the treasure we're going to get in heaven of well done, good and faithful servant, but it's this joy that we experience on earth. That is priceless. That is priceless. One of my favorite books is written by Oswald Chambers, and he wrote in his book, Utmost for My Highest, he wrote, and I quote, Worship is whenever you give your best to God. I'm going to say that again. Worship is whenever you give your best to God. Whatever it may be. It can be as a spouse. It can be uh, as... as uh, uh, you're uh, working at your work. It can be at church that you're joyfully, willingly, diligently, faithfully, thankfully giving your best to whatever situation you're in. Uh, George Mueller, I'm sure you heard of this man. He was a man of prayer. His life was built on prayer. He is one of my mentors. And I never met him, but his life and his faith ministers to me. George Mueller um, was a man who there was a uh, who built orphanages throughout England and made impacts. You can argue throughout the world, but there's this famous story of how he asked 300 children to sit in the dining room even though there was no food. And he went into his room and he prayed to God. George Mueller. Uh, when he prayed, it's known that he never asked for public offerings. Everything was done through prayer. And he records in his journal, if you read his biography, of how every prayer that he prayed, he, he, on the right side, he, he puts down when God answered his prayer. But this is a famous story. A few minutes later, a baker knocked on the door and said, you know what? I couldn't sleep last night, so I made bread for the children this morning. And he brought bread into them. And then they still needed more. They still needed. And, and a few minutes later, another knock on the door. And it happened to be this time the milkman. And the milkman said that his cart just happened to break down right in front of the orphanage. And he said, you know what? I need to give this free milk away or else it'll spoil. And so there was enough, wa uh, enough milk and bread for the children that day. George Mueller wasn't a wealthy man, but he depended daily in God, in prayer. And he gave his best to God in that way. And John Piper says of George Mueller, and I quote, George Mueller completely served God 
with all of his heart. He trusted God to provide for the daily needs of the orphanage. You see, whatever circumstance you're in, our verse this morning, our verses this morning, the two of them, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As unto the Lord, not for men. For you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. For it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. If you take that to heart, there will be so much joy and enthusiasm in our hearts, wherever we are, whatever circumstance we're in, even while, even Apostle Paul, even while he was in prison. And that, that is the essence of the message this morning. We live in a culture that focuses so much on results. And I'm, I am not saying that results are not important. I am not saying that planning is not important. I am not saying that goals are not important. They are all important. But throughout scripture, what I see is that God cares more. He cares about the results. He wants many people to become saved. The Bible says in First Peter that God is slow Slow in anger and his abounding in love, he is patient so that everybody can come to repentance. So God is a God that has goals. And yet, at the same time, we see throughout scripture, our Heavenly Father focusing on the process. That when we give our best to God, we can leave the results up to him. Because God desires our hearts. He desires our faithfulness. Growing up, um, I mentioned this before about my mom and how she used to discipline me. But um, as you know, I didn't do well in school. And um, I actually got accepted to college um, because a Christian counselor uh, read my essay in the admissions office. And uh, if a Christian counselor never read my uh, essay, then, you know, I would be in trouble. But, you know, that's what happened. And I graduated college. And then after I graduated college, I actually um, became really passionate for the Lord through campus ministry. And as a result, uh, I wanted to learn more about God. And so I decided uh, to apply to seminary. But there was a problem. When I applied to seminary, I didn't know how expensive it would be. And I didn't have the funds. So I simply, I still remember in 1995, I uh, paid $35 to the seminary I never heard of called Talbot Seminary. And I just prayed. And my other friends wanted to be pastors. I just wanted to learn more about God. And I said, God, in my heart, I said, you know, this probably, I'm going to plant this seed in faith, but God, you know how expensive seminary is. And, uh, you know, at that time, I believe tuition per year was 8000 a year. So for four years, it'd be 32000 for my ten- time there. And I prayed. I got a letter a month later from the financial aid office. And they said, you got accepted, which is the good news. And then secondly, that you have been randomly selected out of 30 students for a fellowship grant. And I still remember that grant. It's called the Graduate Fellowship Pell Grant. And as a result of that letter, I was able to enter my first year of seminary. And as a result of being in seminary, I was able to learn more about God and meet other other men and women who were getting trained and other pastors. And and then that's how uh, I even was led to meet a pastor who invited me to be an intern at Sarang Community Church. And that's where I met uh, at that time the senior pastor, Reverend O. 
And that's how it started. And over the course of 20 plus years, you know, I've been in ministry and now I know this is my calling. But back then, boy, all I could do is just give God my best. Give God the $35 I had in my wallet. To just give God what I, what I had. And I left the results to God. And I can say that, you know, the Bible says, if we boast, we must boast in the Lord. And I can say, I stand before you here today because there, it's been a journey of these past 20 years of the same procedure, the same process. God, this is all I have. This is all I have. But if this is your will, God, I trust you. And I just plant seeds and God makes that seed grow. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you're like, I don't have much. My family doesn't have much. And I'm not just talking about necessities and finances, but I'm talking about even in your abilities. I might not have much to give as a service to the church. I might not have much talent. Well, the Bible says if you're a Christian, all of us have one spiritual gift that God has given us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we can use it. And so I would encourage you guys to just give God what you have and see what God does with it. I have a pastor friend who uh, in high school was such a good golfer that he was getting scholarships for colleges. And um, it was during this time that uh, he had to have his left leg amputated because they were uh, tumors growing throughout his leg. And the doctor said that that would be something he wasn't born with it. It was just something that happened throughout the course of some years. And as a result, he had to amputate his leg and the golfing career. He had to go a different track. And as a result um, of him being on just, you know, he has two legs, but one is obviously artificial. And as a result, uh, he, you know, he had to forgo his personal dream for a new dream that God gave him. And through many tears and many prayer, he decided that God was leading him into the pastoral ministry. And now he's a pastor serving God with all of his heart. And so no matter what condition you're in, physically, mentally, we can all contribute to the kingdom of God. And this verse, Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, applies to all of us here this morning. And so we can give God our best and he will, he will promise to take care of the rest. One of my favorite verses is, uh, by Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I would surmise to you this morning, I would submit to you this morning, the life I live in the body, I live by, and what would, be, what would you feel in your blank this morning? We live in a culture and society where everybody claims to be Christians. This is, there's a term for this. It's called cultural Christianity. People think that if they just go to church and, they don't, there's their, and their life isn't consistent with Scripture, that they're Christian. But the Bible clearly says that that's not true. There needs to be repentance. There needs to be confession. And there needs to be fruit that is born throughout the course of a person's life. And so there's this cultural Christianity going on. And there are a lot of people, Christians, and I would also say non-Christians, who put their faith 
potentially in their finances more than they do in God. Or put their faith more in their circumstances, favorable circumstances, more than they do being dependent on Christ, being with them as more of a joy. Or they put their faith in people's approval and networking more than in prayer and trusting God. Now, none of these things I said finances, circumstances, connecting and networking is very important in today's society. There's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. As a matter of fact, they're not even sins. But if we make those things our idols, if we replace Christ with those things, what does Jesus say in Matthew 6? He says, you cannot serve two masters. You've got to be either devoted to one or to the other. And I think even including myself, it's very, very easy to to want and to replace God, Jesus Christ, our God, with these other temptations. I uh, subscribe to a magazine. It's an outreach magazine, and there's many uh, good uses of these magazines. But every year they come out with like the 25 largest churches in America. And nothing wrong with big churches. But I realize that even as a pastor, it's easy to want the big congregation, the big pay, the fame, all of those things. But I realize even in my spirit, I need to be careful that whatever situation that God puts me in, He is my master, He is my boss, and I am to serve Him faithfully. And so we need to make sure that we don't replace these things, of the, these good things that we have as our ultimate thing, because then they become God's. But he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Going back to verse 23, whatever you do, another translation says, do it heartily as to the Lord. Again, joyfully, genuinely, sacrificially, faithfully. Those are the words that come along with do it heartily, do it to your best. But this word do, in verse 23 of Colossians 3, whatever you do, in the Greek word, the word do has two different words. One is, it's, it's saying work, service. It's, it's involving service, serving of some kind. But the second meaning of this word do is to do it diligently. And so another word we could use is do it to the best of your ability. Best of your ability. God desires for every single one of us, especially his children as believers, for us to do everything diligently and with joy. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. And so we are to do our best. And, you know, as again, when we look at scripture, the results are important, but also the why is important. Why we are coming to church, why we're serving the Lord matters just as much as the what. And so we are to honor God and faithfully serve him with joy, whether we may be sweeping the floors, washing dishes at home, changing diapers, emptying out the trash, vacuuming the house, cutting the grass. That even as we're doing those things, we are to do it to the best of our ability. Why? Because all work is sacred before God. Nothing is unimportant that we do when we serve him. Sometimes we might think that the things that we do at church are more important than our duties at home. No, both are important. 
Because God looks at the whole. He doesn't compartmentalize our lives. God never compartmentalizes our lives. But he looks at the whole aspect of everything that we do. All work is sacred before God. And so, this is very important. And then, again, in Colossians 3, uh, 24, it says, Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. That is what we are to remember, constantly and always. There's another meaning in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not to men. We don't have to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus, you guys all know of this church. Jesus commends them. There's seven churches, and I'm going to highlight this church for this example. Jesus commends them for their hard work, their perseverance. He even commends them for suffering in his name. But he says, one thing I hold against you. And if you can finish the verse for me, you have, yes, you have forsaken your first love. Jesus' rebuke to this church in Ephesus was, boy, you're coming out to church and you're serving me and you're working hard and you're even suffering against those that are trying to ruin the church. But then he says, I hold this against you. Why are you doing those things? Are you doing those things because you love me? And I think what Jesus was pointing out in Revelation was that religion could get in the way of a relationship with God. And he says, as the antidote to having a cold heart towards God, he says, Remember, repent, and return. And what I want to challenge every single one of us here this morning is it's important for us to do the best of our ability in whatever we do. But like Apostle Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What fueled his service? What fueled his passion? What fueled his joy, even when he was in prison, in an unfavorable circumstance? It was the love of God. The Bible says in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. And so we are always to bask and be reminded of God's love. So that wherever we go, we're full of his love and grace. That when we give and when we serve, we'll always have an overflow, an abundance not wanting people to repay us back, but we'll even have more to give them because Christ Jesus was that way towards us, as Philippians 2 records, that he emptied himself and became a servant just like us. It was the most unfair exchange in history. What did Jesus Christ give us on the cross? He gave us, he gave us forgiveness of sins, and not only forgiveness of sins, but the Bible says that his perfection, his righteousness, he exchanged that with us so that those who put their faith in Jesus and repent of their sins are now righteous, perfect before the eyes of God. So that when God looks at any individual that has Christ, that has put their faith in Christ, they are seen as perfect. In exchange, what did Christ receive from us? He received our sins. And as a result... I argue, and a lot of scholars argue, 
that even though Jesus paid and he experienced enormous pain on the cross, that there was a greater pain than the physical pain. And it was uttered by Jesus himself when he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For that moment in history, for the very first time, the perfect fellowship Jesus had with the Father was cut off. It was severed. And Jesus was alone on the cross. And I believe that emotional pain, that alienation from God himself, that separation was even greater torment than any the nails in his hands and any physical pain he endured. Jesus was forsaken for us so that we would not be forsaken by the Father. And as you dwell on the gospel and as you dwell on the cross and what Jesus has done for you, that's what motivated Apostle Paul to ne- never lose passion. To share the gospel to his dying breath. And we know that he was beheaded. The 12 disciples, except Judas, but the rest of them, 11, they were all martyrs. And C.S. Lewis says they're either lunatics or they're liars. Or Or they're true. There was a Messiah named Jesus who was God, who is God, and he rose again. And I think within the church today, um, because Satan is trying to ruin the church, There are wolves in the church. And the Bible tells us to be as innocent as doves, but shrewd as serpents. Through the grace of God, we need to protect the church. And we need to make sure that what's preached on the pulpit and what's executed within the entire church is the gospel. Because that's what's going to motivate men and women to serve God with all of their hearts. This message I'm giving you this morning is not a moralistic message. Try harder. Come on, serve God. It's not like sports where there's cheerleaders and there's a crowd and it's just trying to win the game. No, the Bible says in Ephesians 6 that our warfare is spiritual. It's against flesh and blood. There's more on the line. And so, for us as believers, we need to continually, I need to continually remind myself of what Jesus has done for me. And as a result, there's a bubbling up of passion that I cannot but serve him. And when that begins to happen in the church, revival breaks out. As This is my second week of coming to this beautiful church. And when I say beautiful, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. I realize that, um, that um, many of you have been here for many, many years. And we need you saints. You guys are the foundation and the pillar, like any building that gets built. It doesn't matter how beautiful it looks. If there aren't pillars on the bottom, it's going to crumble. It's like the house on the rock and the sand. And I believe we have some great pillars here. The elders here, the, some of the uh, people I have met are great pillars. And as I've been away from you for a week, I've been praying. And, um, and I realized that, you know, with the, some of the beautiful children that are here, uh, that attend the service. I love that you guys have the service together and then release them so they can have Bible study. But I also realize that we need to have a new generation in partnership with the generation that has been so done the heavy lifting that we can learn from. And as I've been away from you for one week, um, I was praying for this message and also this church. And I felt God saying to me, Steve, you're only a guest speaker, number one. Number two, 
leave the results up to me. I know you care about Grace Brethren of Norwalk. And I know you pray for the people there. But I will build my church. I will build my church. Just be faithful. Work at it, whatever you do with all of your heart. It's unto the Lord, not to men. I was reading about a recent study where there's a lot of uh, time theft at work. People taking longer coffee breaks, longer lunch, and leaving work early. As Christians, we should never do that. We should be the hardest painter if we're a painter. We should be the hardest mechanic if, and the honest mechanic. We should be, whatever we do, people should be raving about the quality of work that we do. So that our master, our true boss, can receive all the praise and glory. And again, I'm not speaking about moralism or legalism. I'm speaking about just doing our best and leaving the results up to God. I'm going to close with this um, um, story that even touches my heart today. In Luke 21, you see the story of the poor widow. And uh, you guys all know this story, I'm thinking. And, you know, there were a lot of people who gave offering. And, but Jesus highlights this poor widow. And in that, in that four to five verses, Jesus says, um, he recognizes this woman's uh, offering about less than two pennies. And he says, you have given more than any of these others who actually financially gave more. And you know what he says? is because you gave all that you had to live on. And Jesus recognizes this woman's offering. What's the point in the message? The point in the message is not to put a guilt trip on people who are well off. And it's not to say that offering doesn't matter, because it does. That's how the church is run. The point of the story is the heart of the woman. What Jesus was actually saying was, you actually prayed, and you actually prepared your offering, and you actually gave it joyfully with all that you had, sacrificially, without, without having this ego trips like you gave a lot. But you were so humble. And I recognize your heart. And even though you have given less than two pennies, you gave more than all these other offerings. That's the point of the story. Don't miss the point of the story. We need rich people in the church to give, but to do it the Lord's way. I want to say to you this morning, you might not have that much strength left. You might not have that much intelligence in your own mind. You think this way, but you, you're probably very smart and bright. You might not have that much finances. You might not think you know, you, that energy. But I want to tell you, God looks at our heart and he can take two fish and five loaves of bread and he can feed the 5,000. He can do miracles. And I believe that the best days of this church is yet to come. But we've got to do it the right way. We've got to do it His way. And not manipulate things into our own hands. And when I look at, and I think about you, and I met some of the elders and some of the men who are responsible, who are faithful laborers, um, man, I, 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 I had a lot of hope that they are the pillars. And, um, you know, my uh, final... Um, just encouraging words to you. If we could turn there is Romans chapter 8. Can we all turn there please? Romans chapter 8. 
And we'll just look at a f- uh, several verses here and I'll be done. Romans chapter 8, verse 10. Romans 8, 10. Romans 8.10, this is the word of God. But if Christ is in you, Romans 8.10, I hear some still pages being turned. So, But if, you, if Christ is in you, Romans 8.10, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Through you, And then let's look at verse 15 through 17, and then I'm done. Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I share this with you because we have a heavenly father. Who knows every detail of your life. I don't know if I shared this last time I was here, but... um, from the age of five, uh, my mom, she raised us. And so uh, I grew up pretty much without a father. Um, if I go even a little deeper into the story, uh, my father actually had cheated on my mom. And she found out while she was in Korea. And so he actually had another family going on. I was too young to understand. So my mom took the kids, my two sisters, myself, and her mother, my grandma, who now has passed. And she... We came to the States, start all over again. So I grew up without a dad. And I think coming to a new, uh, uh, immigrating here and, and coming to uh, the United States, 1979, I was five years old, not knowing any English um, and not having a male. I just grew up with all women. Um, uh, I missed having a male model in the home. And, um, and, Throughout my life, God has graciously given me mentors, um, men, godly men. And so a lot of my friends are older than me, one, two, five years, because I think I just gravitate towards older men and more so godly men. And, uh, and, but I think how that has worked for me, Romans 8, 20, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, is that I think by not having a father in my life, It has actually caused me to depend more on God. Because I had no one else to turn to. And as I look back in my life now, I mean, as a junior high, high school, and in that pubic stage and all that, I complained and was angry at God. But as I look back now, I think what God was doing in me was cultivating at a very young age my relationship with him as my father. As my heavenly father. I think God's developed a lot of um, relationship between him and I. I give him all the credit. Because at a young age, I had to depend on him. My mother did the best she could. But there was just some things that she wasn't able to do because she had to be the breadwinner. 
and my grandma raised us. So I had to, from a young age, through prayer, through the word, depend on God. I just want to encourage you. Uh, I don't know where you are at in your personal life, whether your father is still alive or not, or whether you come from a divorced home or whatnot. But you know what? We have a heavenly father who loves all of us equally. And he will be there for each and every single one of us. And I know that life on earth is very short. You know, I'm already 44. And so I'm counting the days of my life on earth as well. I'm not trying to be morbid here. But I'm realizing that life is short and I need to maximize every ounce of energy I have left for His glory. And I pray that all of us together would do that too. It was great being with you for the past two weeks. Um, You guys are great listeners. And you have godly leadership at this church. Now let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, as we come before you uh, this morning, Lord, remind us, thank you for reminding us again, because it's so easy for us to forget that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, you do not want us to live and serve you begrudgingly, out of duty, without joy. But God, you want us to serve you joyfully, diligently, faithfully. And so, Father, I pray that your hands which I believe is upon this congregation, would continue to guide and that, God, you would continually pour out your unending grace to all the members of this congregation, even those who are missing today, not here, absent. God, be with them as well. May they feel your warm hand and your grace in their heart, in their souls. Lord, thank you that we can call you Abba. Thank you that you are available 24-7. And God, thank you for giving us the privilege to serve you with all of our hearts. May we focus on the results. Results are important, but may we focus just as much, if not more, on our hearts and our motives that it would honor you, that we're doing it for you. And that we would, like Apostle Paul says, that we would be men and women that live by faith and not by sight. And that our energy, our fuel to not give up and keep on going would be because we remember the one who loved us and who loves us and gave himself for us. God, we thank you, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.